Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series dedicated to reflection on contemporary religious issues. In this episode, graduate student Emily Judd interviews Yale Divinity School professor Erica Helgen about liberation theology. They discuss the origins of the movement in South America and its different branches from black liberation theology to Palestinian liberation theology. You can't have one person speak for liberation theology because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about applying the theology to a situation. It's about, you know, being in the situation and then using that to inform uh, your theology. And Professor Helgen lays out the liberation theology argument that Jesus was a political activist. For a liberation theologian, there's no way to not be political. By, by saying that you're apolitical, you are essentially taking sides with the status quo, and thus, in a system and structures of oppression, you're taking sides with the oppressor. And liberation theologians would say, Jesus took sides, but he took sides with the oppressed, Welcome, Dr. Helgen, to the quadcast. Thanks for having me. So the Encyclopedia Britannica defines liberation theology as a religious movement that seeks to apply faith by aiding the poor and oppressed through involvement in political and civic affairs. Is this an accurate definition of liberation theology? It's it's not a bad definition. You know, I like that it talks about liberation theology being a movement. So traditionally, when we oftentimes think about theology, we think about, okay, you know, you we look at the Bible, and we look at church tradition, and we think about how we can apply that to our lives, and how we can, you know, use the things that we read in the Bible to inform our uh, views of, you know, morality and good and bad in the world, right? And so liberation theology would reverse that direction and say, you know, we're going to look at our world and we're going to become active in our world and then use that knowledge to inform how we read the Bible and how we uh, interpret church tradition. And now the father of liberation theology is that I've heard um, the Dominican priest from Peru, Gustavo Gutierrez, who ended up writing uh, a book called a A Theology of Liberation. And he actually wrote in the book that a new awareness of Latin American reality is making headway. They believe that there can be authentic development for Latin America only if there's liberation from the domination exercised by the great capitalist countries, especially by the most powerful, the United States of America, end quote. So critics of liberation theology, especially in the United States, argue that it's anti-capitalist and it's anti-United States. Is that a fair assessment? So anti-United States, I mean, liberation theology, especially as it, as it was conceived, um, you know, was concerned with issues of imperialism and it was anti-imperialist. And so, you know, United States as, as being, uh, you know, for Latin Americans an imperial force or an imperialist force, you know, that was something that liberation theologians uh, were always concerned about. Liberation theologians were, were 
concerned, especially in the 1960s and 70s, but especially the 1960s, um, with what's called dependency theory. And so this was the idea that um, countries, you know, nation states, enter into, you know, dependent relationships. And so that Latin American countries, their economies were dependent upon these imperialist nations like the United States. And so, you know, a part of the argument of liberation theology, you know, was not just let's look at these structures of oppression within you know, our countries and our societies. But let's look at the structures of oppression on a global scale between different nation states. So, you know, that was always a concern of theirs. And, you know, when you say anti-capitalist, I mean, they were critiquing and criticizing capitalism. And, you know, but that was not... You know, so the Catholic Church has always had its critiques of capitalism. I mean, I say always, but, you know, 1891, Rerum Novarum, um, there's always been concern about, you know, the excesses of capitalism. Um, and for sure, liberation theologians believed that uh, capitalism created structures of oppression in their societies. And so... The Vatican newspaper, when Pope Francis was elected, said that liberation theology can no longer remain in the shadows to which it's been relegated to for some years. Pope John Paul II curbed the movement's influence during his pontificate by appointing uh, bishops in Latin America that weren't subscribing to liberation theology. Is there evidence that Pope Francis is a proponent of liberation theology. He's obviously from Latin America, from Argentina. I mean, yeah, I would say Pope Francis, you know, supports liberation theology. I mean, again, I would also sort of emphasize how much of liberation theology, you know, has become, you know, what we think of as kind of our, uh, you could call it mainstream Catholic social teaching. But, you know, Pope Francis definitely in putting, you know, his emphasis on not just, you know, the poor, but also, you know, he's talked a lot about oppression and structures of, uh, uh, of oppression and justice, you know, he words the that he, you know, you can see a lot of liberation theology in what he's been talking about. He always, you know, liberation theologians also, you know, talked a lot about kind of making uh, the Catholic Church itself as an institution a more just and equal place. And you can see uh, Pope Francis talking a lot about how, you know, we need to push back against clericalism and, you know, we need to try to, uh, you know, make the church itself um, a more equal place. But I think what many people point to, I mean, there's the more obvious moves of Pope Francis to, you know, invite Gustavo Gutierrez to the Vatican. Uh, father the, of liberation theology. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, Gustavo Gutierrez, who may see as the father of liberation theology to the Vatican, um, the canonization of uh, Archbishop Oscar uh, Romero, who, you know, was a um, proponent of liberation theology and, you know, fighting for justice in El Salvador. And for that, he was assassinated. And so, you know, he's now being canonized as um, 
uh, a, a, a saint. Now, one branch of liberation theology that's particularly popular and relevant in North America is black liberation theology. Arguably, the most famous black liberation theologian was James Cone, who passed away earlier this year, uh, who based his theology on God's liberation of Israel from Egypt in the Old Testament. What is unique about black liberation theology? As opposed to Latin American liberation theology? Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know... Many people, I think, assume that black liberation theology sort of, you know, was inspired by or came after Latin American liberation theology or vice versa, you know, that Latin American liberation theology sort of, you know, took as their uh, foundation black liberation theology. But actually, they developed relatively independently, um, almost at the same time, but independently. And so, you know, I think... I mean, definitely black liberation theologies focus on, you know, racism and structures of racism in the United States is really uh, what is so powerful. And I think, you know, uh, one of the useful things to think about is kind of what black liberation theology and Latin American and Latin American liberation theology, even if they developed relatively independently, what they learned from each other. And I think, you know, Latin American liberation theology, because uh, it was so focused on class um, and structures of economic and political um, oppression, that race was not something that liberation theologians talked about that much, especially, and again, when we talk about this, we always need to be mindful of sort of when we're talking about, you know, so early liberation theology, you know, wasn't as... Like in the 1960s, yeah, 70s? 60s, 70s, right? Was not really looking at these questions. And I think, you know, from interaction with black liberation theology, you know, that definitely, um, you know, exposed sort of um, something that was lacking in Latin American uh, uh, liberation theology. Now, one other branch of liberation theology that is garnering worldwide attention is Palestinian liberation theology. Christian Palestinians living in the occupied territories are using this theology to interpret the Bible. But unlike James Cone, Palestinian liberation theology largely abandons the Old Testament, which it says has been interpreted as endorsing Israel as a land for Jewish people only. And so instead, it it focuses on the New Testament and Jesus's life as a Palestinian living under the Roman Empire. So how can the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, it, it's a text that's crucial to black liberation theology, how can that be rejected completely kind of by another strand? Who speaks for liberation theology? Who speaks for liberation theology? I mean, that is the question, right? I mean, when we talk about liberation theology, um, you know, it's not one cohesive whole, right? Uh, you know, again, because, you know, because of this methodology of theology being a second step, that first step of, you know, is, is extremely contextual, right? And so it's going to be different in Latin America. It's going to be different in North America. Um, it's going to be different uh, when you're speaking about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, and so... It's so interesting to me that there's not even, uh, like, one, I guess, foundational 
scripture. You know, I would have thought um, before learning about all these different strands of liberation theology that there was, you know, one mission statement <laughs> kind of <laughs> from the Bible that, uh, you know, really defined it. But I found it interesting that the different branches or different movements of liberation theology have different biblical inspirations. For sure. I mean, you know, and that I think is, you know, that is a reflection of, um, you know, the sort of the different way that people have understood and thought about and used liberation theology, Um, you know, because it's, um, there's there's a quote from Gustavo Gutierrez when he was, Again, Gustavo Gutierrez, you know, one of the founders of Latin American liberation theology. Um, he was he was at some event, um, and someone asked him. Actually, this is relevant to what we're talking about. Someone asked him, you know, what uh, you know, what is liberation theology's opinion of the Israel-Palestine conflict? And his response was, and again, I'm not quoting this exactly, but it was, you know. Liberation theology is not a political party, and I'm not its general secretary. <laughs> and so, you know, essentially what he was saying is, you know, I, liberation theology is not something that you, that you apply to different situations. And so, you know, again, going back to this question of who speaks for liberation theology, you can't have one person speak for liberation theology because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about applying the theology to a situation. It's about you know, being in the situation and then using that to inform uh, your theology. And, you know, uh, Exodus is important for black liberation theology. It's very important for Latin American liberation theology. But you also have Latin American liberation theologians who are using many other biblical texts. Um, So again, you know, the activism on the ground is oftentimes what informs, you know, what type of theology you're going to do and what Bible passages you're going to look at. I find it ironic that the so-called or the supposed father of liberation theology said, I can't speak for liberation theology. Um, So in the Christian tradition, there is a tendency to view religion as a rejection of the world. This can be interpreted to mean a rejection of worldly political activity. Since Jesus was not a statesman, his kingdom was not of this world. But then there's the view that Christian liberation theology asserts that Jesus was a revolutionary whose movement ultimately conquered oppressive rulers of his time. Can the tension between these two views, that one, Jesus was apolitical, and two, that Jesus was a revolutionary, can that tension be reconciled? I mean, no, in the, in, in the sense that, I mean, I think... One of liberation uh, uh, theology's kind of foundational, um, you know, ideas is that there is no sort of reading of the Bible that's apolitical. Um, And there's no way... and, and Jesus was not apolitical. I mean, you know, I think Christian Smith, who's a sociologist, you know, uh, talked about liberation theology's view of uh, Jesus and said, you know, liberation theologians believed that he was political, but not politicized. 
um, and that uh, he was spiritual, but not spiritualized. And so this idea that, um, you know, how we understand political is for a liberation theologian, there's no way to not be political. By, by saying that you're apolitical, you are essentially taking sides with the status quo and thus in a system and structures of oppression, you're taking sides with the oppressor. And liberation theologians would say, Jesus took sides, but he took sides with the oppressed. And, you know, so there's, I mean, I think, yeah, there's no way to reconcile those, but there's also, you know, if, if we think about the meaning of political and apolitical, um, that's where I think liberation theologians made some of their kind of, you know, deepest, most foundational points. Well, Dr. Helgen. Oh, is that it? <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for no, joining thank us you. today. I feel like I've gotten a real idea of liberation theology and how diverse it is. It is very diverse. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. This was wonderful.